Hello, and welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. Thanks for joining us, and we hope that this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and maybe even entertain you a little. Here we go. We are uh, at a point now in our uh, one-year Bible reading schedule where we're getting into First uh, and Second Chronicles. We've just finished First and Second Kings, and you may be wondering, why am I reading the same stories again? Uh, fair question. Fair question. Um, we're actually a bit weird in that, you know, originally these books were, were put at the end of the Hebrew Bible, and we've kind of just lumped them in with kings. Um, you're right in that Chronicles does tell many of the same stories as kings, but it tells them from a different perspective. Chronicles is written after the exile is over, while Kings was mostly written before the exile, and a couple of parts you know, towards the very end were written during the exile, but most of it comes... Most of it is put together uh, during the reign of King Solomon and and the kings who follow. So Chronicles is different. It approaches things with, with uh, the, through the lens of hindsight. And the chronicler, meaning the anonymous person who, who wrote the book, um, has a specific purpose in mind. He's trying all throughout the books of Chronicles to show what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. Okay, so he focuses more on the reign of David and Solomon than anything else. But but you have to understand that he is not describing David and Solomon's reigns um, as they actually were, but as they should have been. Very important distinction. And so David is particularly uh, very highly idealized in Chronicles, and he's portrayed sort of as like the true founder of, of the temple and all of its rituals, because that's what he should have been. But he wasn't. This whole book is written with the benefit of hindsight by someone, probably a Levite in the temple, um, who can see from from where he is in time all of the missteps that Israel took which led them down the wrong path. Right, He is writing after the exile is over. He, looking over Israel's history and how they got to a point where God had to exile them in the first place and all the mistakes that were made. And, it's, and then he writes from that perspective a book about the history of Israel and what it should have been. Now it's interesting to know, my friends, that after the exile, Israel never struggled with paganism again. Never. All those things you read about in Kings and that you'll read about here in Chronicles where they, they set up altars to other gods, but that will never happen again. I mean, there is a profound cultural trauma after the, the exile. And the people of Israel are going to rigidly adhere to the law and they will obsess over living as righteously as possible. Now, Chronicles may have played a big role in that, but more likely, Chronicles reflects the mindset of post-exile Jews 
who see the tragedy of what should have been versus what was. So this book gives you insight into how the Jewish people see themselves and see the world after the exile. They can understand their own tragedy, and they're reflecting on it. And even though Chronicles isn't referenced often in the New Testament, it it clearly shaped a lot of the Jewish beliefs of the Second Temple period, which is the post-exile period. Um, Or if it didn't shape them, it at least reflected them. And and for instance, one of those would be the the incredibly high opinion of David and Solomon, which you see uh, poking through here and there in the New Testament. It's very clear in Second Temple Jewish writings that David and Solomon are, are idealized, even though they are both deeply flawed in Solomon's moral failings in particular, led directly to the split kingdom and and the worship of pagan gods in Israel. Like Solomon bears responsibility for a huge part of, of the moral failings of the nation that led them to exile. But by, the, by, by this time period, he's held in extremely high regard. And so is David. So you'll notice that Chronicles... Chronicles is much more willing to gloss over their flaws and mistakes than Kings was. Because again, they're highlighting the ideal version of the kingdom. And Chronicles really emphasizes the idea of what God's kingdom is supposed to be like. And those ideas are still very deeply embedded in Judaism in Jesus' day. And, And that, in fact, is the main source of conflict for for Jesus and the Jews in the Gospels. The Jews in Roman times are trying to figure out how to be the kingdom of God while living under pagan rule. And the Pharisees believe that the the approach to this is to immerse themselves in Torah and that by living out God's law perfectly, they can still be in the kingdom. Now what's incredible is that Jesus actually is going to agree with them on that. They're simply going to disagree about what it means to live out God's law. But on the basic assumption that living out God's law is how they are still in the kingdom, even though they do not have a political kingdom, that this is faithfulness to God. This is being in the kingdom of God. And that will underlie every conflict. It's why the Pharisees don't like King Herod, who they view as a false king and a Roman puppet, and they're not wrong. It's why the Pharisees don't like the Sadducees, who are the temple priests, except they're not really the temple priests, because they're not Levites. They are a, a ruling class who were in power before the Romans came and conquered Judah. And there's whole history there, where um, after Alexander the Great dies and his empire is divided amongst his generals, the Seleucid Empire, based in Syria, rules over the kingdom of Judah. Eventually, the, the Jewish people will revolt against them. That's the Maccabean revolt. and It's chronicled in the books of 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, 3rd Maccabees, 4th Maccabees. They're not all telling different parts of the same story, by the way. They're all telling the same story um, with different points of view and different emphases. Um, but that, that revolt actually works, and they are a free people for about 150 years before the Romans come. So when the, by the time the Romans get there, Judah is its own kingdom again. They, they have about 150 years of freedom under what's called the Hasmonean dynasty. And during that time, the king of Israel is the high priest of the temple. 
not the Levites. Because effectively, by this point, there are no more tribes of Israel. The Levites are basically done with. And the Pharisees don't like that because, of course, that's not how it's supposed to work. The king is not supposed to be the high priest. Um, and the Sadducees are essentially the descendants of that. They are people born into noble households, maybe even with royal blood, who, for whom the position of high priest is not about their religious faithfulness. It's not about their purity. It's about their birthright and their bloodline and all those things. And so there's that conflict running along. The Pharisees don't like the Sadducees. They don't like, the, they don't like Herod. They don't like the Romans. And their main conflict with Jesus is not going to be actually that they disagree over their teachings. It's going to be that they disagree over how to interact with the Sadducees and Herod and the Romans. This is important to understand because a lot of us don't pick up on this in the gospel. But, but Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees is, is not so much religious in nature as it is political. He disagrees with the general idea among the Pharisees that they should rebel against Rome and teaches them over and over again that if they do, they're going to get smacked down and smacked down hard. Where he gets into trouble with the Sadducees is in his teaching of, of theology. So he manages to take off everybody. But, um, but Jesus was much more closely aligned with the Pharisees than he was with anybody else in all actuality. Um, and you see the beginnings of the formations of those thoughts here in the book of Chronicles as the chronicler tries to simultaneously tell the story of how the kingdom of Israel fell apart, split into two, and then went into exile while also highlighting an idealized story of what the kingdom was supposed to be like. So that's why you get the same stories again, just told from a different point of view. One of the really fascinating things that's going to happen in the book of Chronicles, by the way, is that there will be multiple times when you get both a political and theological explanation for a story. So as you read through Chronicles, you'll have moments where it will say, you know, the king of Assyria invaded Judah because Judah uh, offended the king in this way. And then in the very next paragraph, it will say, the king of Assyria invaded because God was angry with Judah, right? So it, it will literally give you, here's, here's the political framework behind this, and then here's what God is up to in the midst of that. So I, I've told you before, these stories are all about what God is doing in history. And it's right, the idea is to try and take these historical events and examine them from a theological point of view and explain what God is up to and use that as the explanation for what's going on. But Chronicles makes it more explicit than any other book in the Bible that, that the author is taking political events and reading into them the theological significance. No other book really does it this way. Um, it's fascinating. It will do it over and over again. You'll have a story where here's the political reason for this. Here's the theological reason for this. So pay close attention because you'll have multiple times where it gives you two different explanations for the same event. And one is purely political or economic or something. And then the next one will be the theological reason, why God allowed this to happen. Um, very, very interesting for us to read today. Um, really good stuff. Because as I said last week, um, you know, one of the things we have to do as Christians is remember that God is at work in the world. 
and there is theological significance to political events, to economic events, to military events, we have to actually wonder, for instance, as Russia invades the Ukraine, what God is up to in the midst of that. And I'm not offering answers here right now, but we have to actually wonder about that. We, we don't, I think, have the luxury of just saying, well, does, you know, God's not involved in that at all. It may not be that God you know, caused the invasion, but what is God up to in the midst of the invasion? What can people take away from this as Christians about what God is doing? What is God up to with the recent Supreme Court rulings? What's the theological significance behind all these mass shootings that keep happening? Hmm? We have to actually think about and wrestle with those things. If we are going to say that God is at work in the world, and I think we have to, then we have to really seriously think about it. Now, we also believe that God is not a micromanager. God is not... um, causing every event to happen. God is not causing mass shootings. I don't think, I doubt very much that God caused the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. But just because God does not cause something does not mean that God is not at work in the midst of something. And that's where we have to begin thinking theologically about what God is doing, what he wants done, and how he is going to accomplish his purposes in the world. Because again, God has purposes he wants to achieve. God has goals. He has plans. And he's going to get them done, whether we stand in the way or not. But more importantly, people, people need to know, people need to know, in the midst of all this going on around us, where God is in all this. And we need to be able to give a good answer for that. And all too often, we're, we're unable to do so. Um, no matter what you think of the Supreme Court ruling, lots of people are scared. Even if they're not necessarily vigorously pro-choice, they are scared of the precedent that is set by the Supreme Court overturning one of its momentous cases. They're worried about what that might signal for the future. We as Christians need to be able to actually think critically about where God is in all that and what God is up to. And again, Chronicles gives us a good framework for that. So as you read through it, pay close attention to how the writer describes first political events and then the theological significance of them. My friends, that's all we have time for this week. And I have not received any questions. I want to remind you folks, if you have questions about the Bible readings, you can email them to me at forest.divini at asburycc.org. Um, you can post them up on the church Facebook page if you want. That works too. Um, but feel free to ask any questions you have about what we've read so far, what we're going to read, or just burning questions you've always had about the Bible in general. Uh, and I'll be happy to answer those. So until next week, my friends, God bless you all. <laughs>